0: Episode 110 of Real Life Ghost Stories.
1: How you do?
0: To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Leila Desmet,
1: Cynthia Stanford,
0: Elena Kuluvenin,
1: Donald Fee, Amy, Holly,
0: Taylor Campfield,
1: Nadine Mabiad,
0: Melissa Gallardo,
1: Andrew Coker,
0: Gina Farina,
1: Riley Newman,
0: Charlotte Jones.
1: Dana Woodruff.
0: Ruperta Nelson.
1: Ariana Daniels. Jay. Margaret Smith.
0: Jacqueline Sugrew.
1: And Barry McIntosh the Great.
0: Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you and we appreciate you every day.
1: We surely do.
0: We also have two birthdays today. We would like to say a massive, massive happy birthday to Audrey Hall. And a happy 18th birthday to Amy from Abbey but more importantly from me full yeah. stop
1: and me no no you don't no. Get to know oh, okay
0: from me and bimmy that's it happy birthday guys we hope it is absolutely amazing
1: happy birthday
0: and our film review this week our film review is the meg the meg was released in 2018 it has 5.6 out of 10 on imdb and 45 percent on rotten tomatoes would you like a synopsis
1: Uh, Why, yes, I would like a synopsis. Thank you.
0: Jaws, but with a bigger shark. (laughs) That's my synopsis.
1: I mean, it's... Right.
0: Do you want the actual synopsis, though? Please. When the members of an underwater research facility are under threat owing to a 75-foot prehistoric shark, Jonas Taylor, a deep-sea diver, is hired to save them. So, full caveat. I understand this isn't a horror film, but sometimes you're just not in the mood for a horror film because they can be very taxing on your brain so i just wanted to watch a good creature feature and i love a creature feature so i know it's not a horror it's it's a it's a monster movie and i'm into it but i do i guess if you are petrified of open water or sharks then it is a horror film for you so there but you are
1: also if you take the basis of horror movies as in like the universal monsters it's a monster There are no megalodons in the sea that I know of.
0: That you know of. (laughs) Okay. So what were your thoughts on this film?
1: That was a bit of fun, wasn't it? It, It's a sort of homage to Jaws in many ways, sort of a modern take on it, because I guess people aren't as scared as they should be of great white sharks anymore, so why not make the great white shark even greater in size?
0: (laughs) It's just a bad, good film. Because it's not, I mean, the dialogue is awful. The science, I would imagine, is pretty ropey. If you're a marine biologist, you'd probably watch that with one eyebrow raised the whole way through. Lots of people online, when I was looking up like the synopsis and stuff, were going, I can't believe they copied Jaws. I mean, how can, there's there's very little you can do with a shark film after Jaws. You know what I mean? Because Jaws pretty much set the benchmark. Absolutely. The good thing about the Meg is that they make very obvious nods to Jaws the entire way through. And very clever ones, which are really entertaining.
1: And why try and mask the fact that you, you, you're you going to rip... Like Emma said, you're going to rip Jaws off if you make a shark movie. Simple as. Yeah. So why not give it a little nod? And it's not ripping it off, is it? Really. No, it's...
0: it's. I think it's like respecting Jaws yeah. and saying, yes, we know Jaws came before us. We're never going to be able to outdo it. But let's just make a bigger fucking shark. That's it. There's so little to be said about this film. I mean, the characters are flimsy at best. The science is questionable.
1: How dare you say that about Jason Statham?
0: everybody except for Jason Statham, obviously. The most incredible character there is. (laughs) What was his name? Jonas?
1: Yeah, Jonas. Yeah.
0: And uh, if if I want to watch Jason Statham punch a shark, I'm going to watch the Meg again. You know, like, it's just fun. Is it going to blow your mind? No. Is it some sort of intellectual feat? No. It's a big old shark that eats things. That's it.
1: Yeah, I, don't, I haven't got anything else to add to that really. No, there like... really
0: is nothing else to say.
1: Jason Statham plays Jason Statham with a slightly tweak slightly tweaked accent, and that is about it in terms of character, but it's still cracking. Like it's just fun, and it there's there's a time and a place for this kind of movie, and I enjoyed it.
0: Do you want to know who the real hero of this movie is though? Go for it. The tiny dog called Pippin. I'm not gonna say any more.
1: <laughs> I forgot about that.
0: But there is a weenie little dog with a bow in its hair, and Pippin is the real hero of this movie. That that's that's just a fact. <laughs> okay. I also think that in these big predator movies, so we then watched Anaconda and Sharknado, because we were on a roll or I was on a roll with creature features. I think that uh what I really like about them is the amount of intelligence the creators of these movies give these creatures. Oh yeah, undoubtedly. It's almost like the bigger the shark, the bigger the brain, therefore the more intelligent it is when actually it's still just a big fucking shark. And it's unlikely to to seek revenge, you know, on Jason (laughs) Satham. Very unlikely for that to happen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
0: But I mean, scientists out there, I'm willing to stand corrected. If sharks are famous for their revenge skills, then please do let me know. So what would you give this film out of five?
1: I think it's a very solid 3, isn't it? It's not gonna it's not any more than that and it's not any less. I no, that's I think, where it sits comfortably.
0: I think a 3 is a really fair mark to give it. I mean, it's it's a film you will enjoy, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good film. You just if you want some mindless escapism, this is your film. And I'm really excited about the Meg 2. <laughs> Genuinely. I mean, is the shack going to be bigger? Who fucking knows.
1: Maybe it will have grown legs. Well, that's what they did with Jurassic Park, didn't they? They took it back to the mainland. So I'm just guessing like the shark might get out of the water and go. Or
0: they'll have some sort of velociraptor shark hybrid. Yes. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. Which is not about a Velociraptor-Shark hybrid. Oh, what? And, I mean, I kind of wish it was now because that would be far more exciting than what I have prepared.
1: I feel a little bit robbed, to be honest with you.
0: I feel like I have robbed you. So what do you know, if anything, about the Door Coup?
1: Uh, it's on one of your hoodies that you got from Super Duper Stitious.
0: Yes, it is. The Scud of the Door Coup is on one of my Super Duper Stitious hoodies. Very true. Anything else? No. <laughs> I've wanted to do a Sea Creature episode for ages but I wanted to stray away from the likes of Loch Ness because I think we all know the vague story of Loch Ness but there will be some stories that I'm going to tell today that people may not know
1: I thought the Dorokoe was a dog I'm clearly wrong, right? It is not
0: Yeah, okay (laughs) We've all heard the old adage that we know more about space than we do about the oceans on planet Earth that's not strictly speaking true. We don't even really understand how big space is or even how many universes there are so we can't really know how much of it we've explored or travelled. The ocean however is fundamentally finite. We know how much of the surface area of Earth is covered in water but we actually know very little about our oceans compared to what we know about space. According to NOAA the ocean takes up 71% of the Earth's space but a massive 95% of it remains completely unexplored. It's no real surprise that large bodies of water carry such mystery and reverence for people. Water provided a life source for our ancient ancestors as they set up thriving communities on the shores of rivers, lakes, and oceans, and they respected the devastating power of the water. Legends of sea creatures and lake monsters, mermaids, sirens, and lost cities permeate the narrative of water on earth and sometimes even the lakes that are man-made can spell doom for the inhabitants. Lake Lanier was made in 1956 when the Buford Dam was completed in the Chattahoochee River. The lake was created to manage floodwaters and supply electricity and water to nearby Atlanta. The construction of Lake Lanier was not only marred by chaos also draw families from their land. The government paid people a pittance for land and eventually over 250, mostly black, families, 15 businesses and 20 cemeteries and corpses were relocated before the land was flooded to create the lake. Callously driving people from their homes and uprooting the resting places of the dead are all part of a recipe for disaster and for years legends have circulated that Lake Lanier is cursed. There have been over 500 deaths on the lake since its creation, hundreds of rescues and 27 bodies that have been unrecovered. Many people report feelings of anxiety and stress when they visit the lake. Some have said that while swimming on the lake they suddenly feel the tug of unseen hands and cars have veered off the road seemingly having seen a woman in white. Fishermen have reported seeing shadowy figures rowing a raft over the still water in the dead of night. Year after year, Lake Lanier makes the news as more people tragically lose their lives on the water. But the reality of what is happening here is probably far more logical than supernatural. You see, when the area was flooded, it was flooded exactly as it was. So beneath the dark waters of the lake... There lies homes, businesses, farms, the remnants of graveyards, huge bleachers, and even a racetrack. The lake was never designed with recreation in mind, yet people flock to it year after year to swim, boat, fish and party. But it's incredibly dangerous. The huge volume of debris beneath the surface of the lake makes it easy for people to get trapped or injured while swimming. People often visit the lake and consume large quantities of alcohol, and there are limited boating regulations to prevent boat misuse on the water. Oh, and there are also seven-foot catfish lurking beneath the surface of the water. Lake Lanier has had a tragic journey, with officials having scant regard for the lives and rights of the people in the area, living or dead, and the natural ecosystem. Today, the lake attracts thousands of people looking for some leisure time on the water, many of whom perhaps don't fully understand how dangerous it actually is. But there are many stories attached to other bodies of water all over the world. Some, like the Bermuda Triangle and the Loch Ness Monster, are known almost worldwide. But some are maybe not so well known, but are just as strange. Today we're going to talk about two strange stories of creatures of the deep. ...from two very different parts of the world. Leitrim is a small county in the west of Ireland... ...and it is a place of wild and rural poetic beauty. In a small graveyard in the county... ...is a gravestone... ...that is tucked away from prying eyes... ...but it tells a rather bizarre story... ...a story of an ancient beast... ...that may be more than just a legend... The first recorded sighting of the Door Coup comes from Roderick O'Flaherty in his 1684 book, A Choreographical Description of West Connacht. O'Flaherty describes a bizarre incident that took place on the shores of Loch Mask. There is one rarity more, which we may term the Irish crocodile, whereof one, as yet living, about ten years ago, had said experience. The man was passing the shore just by the waterside, and spied far off the head of a beast swimming, which he took to be an otter, and took no more notice of it. But the beast, it seems, lifted up its head, to discern whereabouts the man was. Then diving swam under the water till he struck ground, whereupon he run out of the water suddenly and took the man by the elbow, whereby the man stooped down, and the beast fastened his teeth in his pate and dragged him into the water. Where the man took hold of a stone by chance in his way and calling to mind he had a knife in his jacket took it out and gave a thrust of it to the beast which thereupon got away from him into the lake. The water about him was all bloody whether from the beast's blood or his own or from both he knows not. It was the pitch of an ordinary greyhound of a black, slimy skin, without hair as he imagines. Old men acquainted with the lake do tell there is such a beast in it, and that a stout fellow, with a wolf-dog along with him, met the like there once, which after a long struggling went away in spite of the man and his dog, and was a long time after found rotten in a rocky cave of the lake when the waters decreased. The like, they say, is seen in other lakes in Ireland, and they call it the Door Coo The Water Dog On September the 22nd 1722 Gronia Connolly was perched on the shore of Glenade Lake in Leitrim She was washing the clothes of her family in the lake water and was a well-known woman in the area No one will ever know the exact details of what happened that day but Graunia Connolly never returned home and her husband Terence went to the lake shore to look for her what he found was beyond anything he could ever have imagined. There on the lake shore was the body of his wife, completely torn to shreds and half consumed. And next to her lay the culprit. Gronia had been savagely attacked and eaten by the door coup, which was now sun dozing next to its kill. Terence flew into a grief stricken rage and launched himself at the Dorku, stabbing it in the neck. The creature let out a high-pitched screech, and something about the sound meant that Terence immediately knew that the creature was calling for something. He began to back away slowly as the screeching filled the air. And then it emerged from the water. Her mate. Another huge water hound, which was as fast on land as it was in the water. Terence mounted his horse and galloped away with the door in pursuit keeping pace with his steed. He rode for miles and he realised that his horse would not be able to keep going at this pace for much longer. He stopped at the blacksmiths of Cashelgaran and desperately sought assistance. The legend goes that the blacksmith was well acquainted with the Dorku and handed Terence a sword. He told him that he must face the creature but that the creature would go for the horse first. And that was the only way that Terence would have the chance to strike. And that's exactly what happened. The Dorku lowered its head and charged directly at the horse, allegedly ripping it in half. And Terence struck it in the head and killed it. The legend goes that the horse and the Dorku were buried side by side. But what is more interesting is that you can still visit Groni's grave to this day and upon her gravestone is her name, her husband's name, and a vivid description of the slaying of the Door The creature is depicted lying down with its head and neck flung backwards so that it lies flat along its back in its death throes. A spear-like weapon is shown piercing the base of the creature's neck, re-emerging below its body and gripped by a human fist at its upper end. The most recent encounter with the door coup took place in 2000, when Irish artist Sean Corcoran claims to have spotted the beast while visiting Omi Island. According to Corcoran, he was standing on the bank of a lake when he heard an unusual hissing sound followed by a loud splash. As he looked down he saw the creature, which reputedly swam the length of the lake within a matter of seconds. Once it had reached the shore on the other side, Corcoran stated that it climbed onto a boulder and let out a haunting screech. He was so struck by the experience that he included the story in his map, guide and DVD on Orme Island, which was published later in 2009. There are allegedly a colony of Dorku that live in Traheen's Lock on the Achill Island in County Mayo, and there have been smatterings of sightings in recent years. It's a legend that has withstood the test of time, and it was a story swapped by storytellers and immortalised by song. But it's not the end of the story. There is some speculation that the Dorku may have actually existed, and was part of a genus of giant otter. Scientists have discovered the otter had a formidable relative that was a predator six million years ago. It was the size of a wolf and weighed about 50kg, but seems to have existed exclusively in China. But it's a thought. Originally, I presumed that this was an old folk legend that would have had a moralistic message, like, don't go too close to the lake shore. But this legend seems to have tendrils that have stretched far and wide. And perhaps without people even realizing, it has deeper connections. But to understand where or what the Dorku is, we first have to pay a brief visit to Loch Ness, because apparently that's where the story really begins. We all know the story of the Loch Ness Monster, a huge creature that many believe is some sort of long-surviving dinosaur that lurks in the waters of Loch Ness in Scotland. The story was elevated by the infamous surgeon's photo, which was later revealed to be a hoax, but it didn't really matter by then. For years, enthusiasts and scientists have tried to prove, and in the latter case disprove, the existence of Nessie. The first ever sighting of her has an Irish connection, and appears in The Life of St Columba, by Adam Naan, written in the 6th century AD. Columba was an Irish missionary who was travelling Scotland, a man had been savagely attacked by a water beast and was killed. Columba sent a follower to swim across the river. The beast approached him, but Columba made the sign of the cross and said, Go no further. Do not touch the man. Go back at once. The creature stopped, as if it had been pulled back with ropes, and fled. And Columba's men and the Picts gave thanks for what they perceived as a miracle, a miracle. There are those that believe that in revenge the offspring of Nessie were sent to plague the rivers and lakes of Ireland in order to wreak revenge on the Irish people. Now, stories of saints are always to be taken with a pinch of salt. But there seems to be a reference to a sort of curse of the Irish people that implies that wherever they go, lake monsters will follow. There is a saying that the Erie Canal was built by the Irish. And to be honest, it's an exaggeration, as there were other immigrant groups that worked alongside them. However, 3,000 Irish immigrants did make up part of the construction crew. Construction began in July 1817 and was completed in 1825. And from the port of New York City, the canal would connect the Hudson River at Troy, New York near Albany, through upstate New York to Buffalo, Lake Erie and the other Great Lakes. It was a huge success, opening the doors to migration and trade to the west, thanks to the speed and ease of transport the canal provided. It's likely that the stories of lake monsters following Irish immigrants came from people from the west of Ireland who would have been familiar with both the story of the Door Coup and the story of St. Columbus, and some people like to perpetuate the narrative. But that failed to take into consideration the fact that native people had been aware of something living in Lake Erie for centuries. It didn't just arrive with the Irish people, although they might have thought it did. Bessie, as it is now known, is allegedly a 40-foot-long, undulating, serpent-like creature, and the first recorded sighting was in 1793, and she's been sighted sporadically ever since, sometimes from a distance, and sometimes maybe too close for comfort. Recently, a man named Franklin P. Wainwright wrote to Weird Ohio with the following account. I have a boat on Lake Erie, and I often fish near Vermilion, and I can tell you, there is a monster in that lake, and near that shore. Many people have seen it over the years, and I am one of those people. The first thing I will say is that I know the town of Huron has tried to make money off this monster. They called it Bessie and tried to get tourists to come and look for it. I think this is very irresponsible and downright dangerous. The thing I saw was vicious and not to be messed with. Giving it a cute name and trying to get people, let alone kids, to come and search for it is only going to lead to tragedy. I'm a fishing fanatic. I've got an 18-foot Boston whaler that some friends and I use constantly in the summers. Pretty much every weekend or free day I'm not working, I'm out on Lake Erie. Two summers ago, I was out on the lake more than usual. I had just gone through a pretty messy divorce, lost custody of my kid and was in danger of losing my job. I was having a lot of trouble sleeping and found myself spending most of these sleepless nights alone on my boat, either fishing or just cruising the lake, thinking about how rotten my life was. In early July, I was having one of those nights where I was just cruising the lake. I anchored the boat a few hundred yards offshore and was just lying on my back drinking a few cans of beer. As sad as it is in hindsight, I found that the combination of the rocking of the boat and a few beers was one of the only surefire methods of overcoming my insomnia. I don't know how many mornings that summer I woke up fully clothed on the deck of my boat with cans scattered around. It definitely wasn't the happiest period of my life. That particular night, I was awakened from my slumber by something rubbing against the bottom of the boat. The noise and the impact woke me and I immediately heard a noise that I find hard to describe. It was the rushing of water, followed by the slap of something against the surface of the lake. I sprang up and grabbed the lantern, which I always left burning in the bow of the boat so that no other vessel would plough into me at night. Then I lunged to the gunwale and held the light over the water to have a look. What I saw I will never forget. Before I go any further, let me say that I was not drunk when I saw what I saw. I'd been sleeping for at least three hours, and i had only had four beers. I'm sure what I'm about to describe is in no way the product of any alcohol-induced hallucination, There was a long, thick creature, a few feet beneath the keel of my boat. All exaggeration aside, this thing was at least 20 feet long. It darted with incredible speed away from my skiff as I struggled to make out its form beneath the inky black surface of the water. When it was about 30 feet away from my vessel, the beast reared its body up out of the lake. Although it was still dark out, it was a clear night with a full moon shining down on the still surface of the water. Because of this fact, I was able to clearly make out a long serpentine body of the animal and its large round head. That was all I saw, before it submerged again and disappeared forever. There is no doubt in my mind that that thing intentionally slammed into my boat. The first instinct I had when I saw it was that I had invaded its territory and it was letting me know. Perhaps like a common eel, it had been attracted to the glow of my lantern. I cannot say for sure. But that was the last night I ever spent alone on Lake Erie. I've only gone fishing at night a few times in the past two years and never by myself. Needless to say, the sleeplessness of that summer only got worse after I looked that monster in the eye. Thankfully since then my life has returned more or less to normal. I've remarried, I see my kid often and have a new job much better than the one I was so worried about back then. When I think back to that summer, the only really terrifying aspect of it I haven't managed to reckon with is the mystery of what I saw that night. From ancient plesiosaurs to giant man-eating otters and from ghost ships to mysterious lights... The sea holds many mysteries, but what is really interesting is the similarities between stories of sea monsters across cultures across the ages. You can find similar lake monsters on each continent, so did our ancient ancestors share the land with these fearsome creatures, causing the stories to be passed down for generations? Or do we truly share our waterways with some even bigger mysteries?
1: I feel that there is an element of truth to the first statement in the idea that vocal history or oral history is very strong. And I think there probably was a time where humans occupied the earth at the same time as giant beasties. So I think some of these stories that have travelled down through history are factual.
0: Super-duperstitious, which is the second mention they get today,
1: Wow, we're all over them today, aren't we? I know,
0: we are. Did a really good episode about this. Can't remember what episode number it was, not very helpful. But they talked about how ancient people, um, Aboriginal people in Australia, absolutely did share the land for a certain period of time with giant marsupials. Hmm. And those stories were obviously passed down from uh, person to, from generation to generation. So do we have this inbuilt human fear of lake monsters that potentially could exist who knows so let's start with the door
1: so i found it very intriguing that the link was made to giant otters in because i've read about those giant otters in factual books like historically existing but i did know that they were asian based because my initial thought was are these just wild irish wolfhounds because those dogs are huge and they're quite good in the water right
0: well, Irish wolfhounds had lived alongside Irish people for centuries, so an Irish person wouldn't mistake uh, an Irish wolfhound for some sort of big otter-like creature or a crocodile-like creature, as it was sometimes referred to.
1: There's a big difference between a crocodile, a crocodile, <laughs> a crocodile, and an otter, though, right? Yeah, massive. So
0: they call it a water dog. So I presume it was just a pretty big fucking otter. Still is. Still is, because apparently there's a colony of them that live on the Ackle Islands.
1: So are they accessible to humans?
0: Yes. So people live, people inhabit Ackle Island hmm. to this day.
1: Kind of like to see one. Not like coming at me, because I no. wouldn't be able to outrun it.
0: No, probably wouldn't be able to outrun but it, maybe from if a distance. It, if it runs as fast as a horse. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's also a problem. And a lot of Irish history from that time was oral history. The tradition of writing things down kind of wasn't as widespread. Um, and storytelling and songwriting and folk songs were a mass massive part of Irish culture so that story was passed down like when you'd go to a fair you'd hear somebody singing the song of Grony Connolly who was killed by a dorku. but the grave does at one hundred percent exist and okay. that depiction is one hundred percent on that grave
1: that's interesting it's a fascinating story I just can't work out in my head what it what it is I don't know where I don't know where I'm leaning with this i don't I think it would be hard if it was, because the, essentially otters are mammals, right? Yeah. So if it's a form of otter, you'd see it way more often on land if it was there. So it's not something like Nessie, which is like supposedly a plesiosaur or something like that, where it exists underwater. So therefore you could go a long time not seeing it. Something that it would be a giant otter would be on land more than it seems to be.
0: And otters are quite uh, secretive little creatures, aren't they? Yeah. So you could understand, yeah, there will be a long period of time where you maybe wouldn't see one. But you, I agree, not that long. If it's mammalian, it has to come out of the water yep. at some point. And also, it sounds like it's fucking huge. So you're not going to miss it if it's out of the water. Yeah. And Ireland is not this massive, sprawling wilderness. There are, you know, rural parts of Ireland, obviously. But uh, often inhabited. I'd love to speak to some old really old people from the west of Ireland mm. and see, hey, have you ever heard of the Dorku and what do you think of it? Like, do you think it's a real thing or is it just a legend? And then see what they had to say.
1: But this fella saw it in 2000 on the Ormy yeah. Island, right? Was it Ormy? Yeah. Yeah. That's re- that is quite recent for a sighting.
0: Of, of a cryptid, yeah. Yeah. So. And not a very common cryptid. Like, the I, I never heard of the Dorku growing up yeah and it seems to be like a, a specifically west of ireland thing mm. which is interesting right
1: yeah it's very interesting geographically if a creature was to swim from china it wouldn't end up in ireland
0: no there's a lot of places you could go first before mm. you ended up in ireland you know that would probably be just as easy to set foot on yeah. So i don't know do i kind of want a dorku as a pet yes i'm gonna say yes <laughs> Do I kind of want, you know, like the beginning of, of Who Run the World, Beyonce music video where she has two hyenas on chains. Yep. If I was a bad guy, would I want two Dorku on chains? Absolutely. 100%, yeah. So I'm I'm kind of angling towards them being real because I just want them to be real so that when I'm a Bond villain, I can have two on chains.
1: I feel like there's, these sightings are always based in something not quite right anyway. So even if it was not a there there's potentially an animal... That's wild in that region that shouldn't be wild. Well, you know, like a lot of these sort of cryptid sightings. Think about that. Look, a lot of these cryptid sightings are based on like escape wild, wild animals, aren't they? And it turns out, you know, there was a a lion or something that was. Escape from a private collection or something like that.
0: Okay, or or the other the other thing is, if you have colonizers who arrive somewhere and have never seen a creature before, yeah. they go, what the fuck is that? Can, can you imagine the people who landed in Australia and saw a platypus for the first time? Yeah. <laughs> they must have been like, where? Am I, am I on drugs? Am I, am I on drugs? Are there drugs involved here? Because I don't fucking know what this is. And I, I I chose Bessie to talk about. She's called Bessie, by the way, because there is a nuclear plant that's the best nuclear plant oh, okay. nearby, and that's why they went for Bessie. Fair. I guess it you know makes sense to have like a a kind of a, a play on Nessie. I want the Loch Ness monster to be real. I love the story of the Loch Ness monster. Mm. I think it's a great story. It makes me really happy. And people say that the first sali- the first sighting of the Loch Ness monster was with Columbus, or, or Columba rather, not Christopher Columbus, um, Saint Columba, but all of those stories of of alleged saints from the time are chaotic and they played on legends from their home country so they you know like Irish people had legends of water beasts for thousands of years and then Columba happens to go to Scotland and face a water beast so you can report back home and go you won't believe what (laughs) Columba did in Scotland honestly I know nobody was there to see it but honestly it's true so the you know that needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. But the whole like Nessie type creatures, they seem to be everywhere.
1: Well, I feel like oceanic bound plesiosaurs are more likely to exist than lake bound ones. It doesn't matter how deep a lock is. I feel something of that size and something that is that predator like you would see way more than we have. If it was in the ocean, there's a lot of space to hide.
0: Yeah, see, I do wonder, like even though I laughed at the Meg earlier because of its complete scientific absurdity like is there really big shit in the ocean that we don't know about
1: absolutely giant squid is a
0: real thing i know that's a real thing and they're really big hence the giant you know (laughs) really fucking big like is there other really big shit in the ocean that we don't know about and even outside of there being really big shit like we've all seen those david attenborough documentaries where they have they go down into the ocean bit where it's really dark all the time and you've got all these little raven Raven, I love them fish. Raven I know they're fish supposed to. That light up. Yeah. And then you've got angler fish that have them little lights on the end of that, that yeah. bulbous thing on their head. That's their monsters anyway. They're fucking monsters. Yeah. Can you imagine if you were an ancient person or you were a colonizer and one of those things washed up on the beach? Yeah. I'd be like, that's it. We, we're in, we we're in hell. Yeah. You know, the world has ended. Something's gone terribly wrong. Look at this thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, those things are cool though. I know they're supposed to be terrifying, but I, I like them dark fish that live like really in the dark depths of the ocean i think they're fascinating yeah they are like the evolution that's gone in, into those things being able to adapt to live in that environment is just insane
0: yeah it is it's crazy so what are your thoughts big lake monsters yes or no
1: i my heart really wants to say yes but my body <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, but my <laughs> my head saying no i don't think science i just don't think lakes are equipped to support huge creatures like obviously they can support massive catfish they can support crocodiles but you see those things fishermen catch catfish
0: and again seven foot catfish is a fucking horror in itself
1: it is but but they're caught regularly that's why they know that they're there or and we you know crocodiles eat people so we know they're there
0: apparently in lake lanier the catfish are regularly sighted by divers and regularly scared the shit out of them. Because yeah, there's, undoubtedly. Because this seven foot monstrosity just brushes up past you. Also, I did not realise until very recently, until someone posted it on this Facebook group, how big crocodiles can get. only oh, yeah. mother of divine. Christ on a bike. Absolutely not. Hmm. So really, do we need lake monsters when all the monsters already exist? That's the real question.
1: No, and I, I think that, but that, I think that's the evidence, isn't it? Because you see, we have, you know, proof that huge crocodiles exist we have proof that giant catfish exist i just think that anything that's bigger than that the chances of it going unseen or getting fleeting glimpses of is very unlikely in a lake a lake has boundaries in the ocean it's a different of fish it's like ke- a kegagool fish
0: of course yes
1: <laughs> because i feel like those things do exist i just don't feel like they exist in lakes
0: so you think they exist in the sea mm. more likely yep interesting it's also worth noting that Irish people, when they used to immigrate back in the day, or emigrate, i never know which word is the right one—but anyway, whichever word it is, there was a lot of maudlin sentiment that went with that because you were ne- you knew you were never going to see your family again, so they spent they likely spent a lot of time drinking and crying. And, you know, talking about home and even, you know, they they must have, you know, heard there was something in Lake Erie and been like, yeah, that's, that's ours. That's Irish. Irish people brought that here. We built your canals <laughs> and we brought your lake monsters. That's what we did.
1: But also to give credence to the to it featuring an Irish law. And I, I'm going to blow your mind with this fact because I know you don't know this. But Ireland is an island, right? And it's surrounded by sea. So... I think those things exist in sea, in the sea, and maybe that lore has got twisted a little bit. And actually what they did see was they saw sea monsters.
0: Or just really big otters.
1: Or just really big otters. I wasn't talking specifically about Dorokoe, I was talking about, because you said about Irish lake monsters in general, right? That's what I was talking about. Like maybe they came from, you know, seeing sea monsters.
0: If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on real-life You can send your own spooky story to real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, patreon patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories, where for $5 or $2 a month, you get heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.